You know, the hand of God teaches us so much. In the midst of trials, we, we start thinking, why not this or why not that? And I just love our Lord. But he's kind to show us his hand. In the midst of, of great turmoil and, and strife and trying to understand exactly what's going on, God shows up and he does his thing. I'm looking forward to the day to, to share with you all that he did that day, that week, those five days. I'll be honest with you, I was a little frustrated that the, the search continued into five days strong. And yet, I think that was part of the beauty of it. Each morning, waking up, heading down with the family to the dock. The friendships, the, the people that you meet in the midst of, of life, and you see the providential hand of God in the midst of all that. Your pastor was sharing Christ much to those who would listen. They thought we were odd, that we had great comfort in his truth. And yet it gave us great strength. I would encourage you to continue to pray for not only those you know, affected, but our youth group is struggling, trying to understand. They... Uh, However, have a couple under shepherds that are caring for their souls. So I appreciate that. Even my own family, trying to wear the, the many different hats and, and yet think, Lord, is there going to be a normal? I trust him in that. I embrace whatever comes forward, knowing that he is worthy to be praised. But the hand of God through it all. I don't know how many of you realize this, but there very easily could have been three or four more fatalities. I uh, think of Matty Tab, Ziggy Hartney, and Tristan. In my book, they're heroes. They jumped in, trying to, tried to rescue her. And yet, by the grace of God, think about this with me. I'm not sure of their weight. And they'll probably kick me in the shin if I throw out a number. But Tristan, to be able to pull two kids out of the water single-handedly, 130 pounds, 120 pounds, whatever it is. That is the hand of God. So much swirling in my mind, and I do pray that there comes some clarity and some understanding when it comes to me preaching to you today. I want you to take your Bibles and open them to Psalm 23. I want to take a short break, Lord willing, this week and next to 
to look at this psalm because it has ministered to my soul and is helpful for your shepherd. This is an appropriate psalm for such a day as this. Timely for our souls. It was the psalm that came to my mind in the midst of that great trial. Spurgeon calls this the crown jewel of the Psalter. And I would agree. It focuses in on the great shepherd, the Lord Yahweh himself, and his type of relationship that he has with his sheep. There is much for us to to grasp, to learn, to comfort our hearts, knowing that the psalm is all about God. How God deals with us, how He cares for us. The title of today's message, When Theology Collides with Life. I title that because I think often we we study scriptures and they, they come special and they're important for us, but we really don't know it until life happens. And it collides with, with truth. And, and yet we believe in its inspiration. We believe that this is the word of God. We believe in the comfort of God. And yet we really believe when life collides with theology. I love our Lord. I he knew exactly what we needed in the time of our greatest need. And so I pray that it will bring us comfort, you comfort, as it has my own soul in studying this. By the way, I preached this psalm. I pointed to you this psalm. I've even read this psalm at funerals. I think about its wealth and its depth. It encourages me to, to think about the depths and the riches of it. Let me read it for us. We'll pray and we'll study. By the way, we're only going to get to four words of this song. It reads there, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we do come to your holy inspired word to teach us, to have it embrace us, to think rightly about life, to to know that, Lord, you are shepherd.
I pray, Lord, that you will draw out of the text your truth that will be used by the Spirit to teach us much about you. You have been our comfort, our guide. We will not desert that. We trust you with life and even death. Be with your servant as he desires to honor you with what is said. Spirit, have your way with our souls. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. What we know about God comes to fruition when life happens. You want to know what a person believes, let life happen, and you will clearly see what they believe. I can say that that, that life is a playground where God's truth comes to bear. It's played out. It is cemented and forged in our hearts. Oh, we can, we can know and study God's Word. We can pass the exa- uh, theology exams. We can, we can just look at this and go to every Bible study. But yet when life happens, the rubber meets the road. And it's important that the set of tires that you ride on in this life has been made by the power of the Scriptures. What do I mean by that? I have a sign in my office that simply says this, right theology leads to right living. And the key to right living is having right theology. I'm not saying that you believe what the pastor says. I'm believing, saying that you believe in what the Scripture tells us. That this truth teaches us. There has been many a night before this event in our own life and, and any tragedy, you think about your life in the Scriptures and how it bears to your soul, and you're often enlightened by the truth, and, and you have this hope This understanding. The Lord uses that, of course, to to minister to our souls in the midst of great tragedy. But yet, it's almost like as the, the spotlight zooms in and the very truths that you know to be true become all the more special for you. I love what the Apostle Paul has said about God in Romans eleven thirty three when he says, Oh, the depth and the riches of both the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgment, unfathomable His ways. He recognized, we recognize, there's a depth of God's Word that, 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 it, that continues to unfold. And, and, and until life happens, we, we are awakened to that level of, of, of deepness. Paul had a relationship with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that relationship formed and shaped the Apostle Paul. And though he's called an apostle, we who are Christ because of Christ, who have received Christ, have the same kind of relationship that not only that David had, but also what the Apostle Paul had. Why? What's consistent in that? 
is Yahweh, is God. He's the same God today, tomorrow, for every aspect, for, for eternity. Truth does not change. He stays the same. And as often as life deals its blows to the, to the life of the Christian, the depth and riches of God's word becomes all the more special to us. It's as if it's truth in action. It gets applied to situations in our life. Like I said earlier, I mean, this psalm is so familiar that, that even unbelievers can, can recite it. But when it comes to your mind in the midst of, of life and tragedy, you, you start to see an angle that, that only the one who was in Christ Jesus can really pull these things out. This psalm, like I said, is the crown jewel of the Psalter. Like, like Spurgeon has said, it, it is something that is very special to us. There's a reason why it's well known. I like what one preacher said, Henry Ward Beecher. It's a long quote. Look to the screen. This is what he says about the 23rd Psalm. And I quote, David has left no sweeter psalm than the short 23rd. This pilgrim, speaking about the psalm itself, God has sent to speak in every language on the globe. It has charmed more griefs to rest than all the philosophy of the world. It has remanded to their dungeon more felon thoughts, more black doubts, more thieving sorrows than there are sands in this, on the seashore. It has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation to the heart of the sick of captives in dungeons, of widows in their griefs, of orphans in their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it has been read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his change, nor is the work done. It, the psalm, will go on singing to your children and my children and to their children through all of generations of time. Nor will it fold its wings till the last pilgrim is safe and time ended. And then it shall fly back to the bosom of God once it, is, it was issued and sound unmingled with all those sounds of celestial joy which makes heaven musical forever. End quote. Away with words, yes. But I think it speaks to exactly what the psalm does, the six short verses that pierces our soul and, and, and brings healing. Beecher is right. This is a powerful psalm. It has eternal truth as well by the way, all God's word has eternal truth. But it has an eternal nature to it that points us to the character of God that will not run out and will continue to minister to our souls even in heaven. 
This psalm looks beyond life as we know it. It looks into the difficult and dark valleys. It also looks, however, to eternity. I mean, this psalm ends with, and I think often this is why it's read at funerals, it ends with with the truth that, that this dwelling place is waiting for us in the Lord. And so this morning, I, I really just kind of want to set the psalm and, and just look at some truth in that very first verse. But it's helpful for us to get a context to make sure that we understand the truth that is being delivered to us. And the first question we have to ask ourselves, who wrote it? It says very clearly in the subscript, a psalm of David, which, by the way, is inspired it's therefore our understanding that we have great clarity that David is the one who wrote the song. There's a little bit of irony here because you think about David. What do you immediately think about? about? When you think about King David, I think about a shepherd boy who conquered Goliath because he had faith in the Lord. His rise, his fall, you talk about life, it, it makes sense to us when you, you study the life of David that this psalm would be birthed from his pen, inspired to write it, as God spoke it to him. I think of 1 Samuel 16 and 17 where David spends much of his time showing us this, this reality of what a shepherd does, how he protects the sheep, how he cares for the flock. And so it's, I think it's natural for him to use this metaphor to, to capture the goodness and the kindness of God. I mean, I just love this. It's not that just God shows up on the day of tragedy and says, here's a note, sorry. Hope you live well. For him to start this song with the resounding truth that the Lord is my shepherd is profound. He is giving complete supremacy to the one who shepherds his soul, the one who's going to care for his soul. What he's saying is God is sovereign. And our theology tells us that everything that God is, he's good in all of his ways. God in his sovereignty knows, knows it all from all of creation to the past to the present and even to the future. He knows your trials. This wasn't a surprise to God. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And what's remarkable about this, as much as I think about God and his reverence and his, his royal, regal aspect of things, he says, I want to be your shepherd. I want to hold your hand. He's not a distant God. He's not some kind of supreme being that is outside of his creation. He is the shepherd of our souls who lives with us. Listen, this psalm, this is exactly what we need. 
The psalm is, is for those who are struggling in this life. It is a psalm for those who maybe even have lost hope. It is for those who need comfort. And it gives you hope and encouragement. The psalm speaks of a living and vital relationship that God, your Savior, your Creator, your Lord says, this is who I am to you. It speaks of his provision, his protection, his guidance, his assurance. All those truths wrapped up in our divine God who desires to be a shepherd to your soul. Listen, I think that's why the unbeliever is confused. When they see great comfort of the one who knows Christ, as they look to him. Why? Because they haven't experienced that type of care. God, Yahweh, has a great care and a love and compassion on those who are His. It, it, the, the scholars are over the page when it comes to the situation or, or the why he wrote this. You think about his younger boyhood, maybe it was during those days when he was protecting literal sheep. Some often say that it was because of his flight from Absalom that he was wandering, trying to survive that this psalm came to him. I think both of them could be probable, but, but I love the fact that we're not definitive. Why? Because it's for us today. This is the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to look at, at, at truth and say, you know what, this is universal truth that lasts for eternity and can apply in whatever situation that you find yourself in. Why? Because God doesn't change. God doesn't change. We'll leave it with the unknown. I'm thankful that the Lord inspired him to write it because it gives us great hope. What do I mean by that? I mean, David affirms God in his goodness and more importantly, his trust in him. I think of verse 1, when at the end, where he, not only does he say the statement, this is the foundation, right? The Lord is my shepherd, and he says... I shall not want. There's nothing else that David needs or wants. And for the Christian, he is all we need. He is sufficient. He is sufficient. I think in verse 4 where, where he says, I will fear no evil. Why? Because he had confidence in God. He affirms his sufficiency. And then at the end of verse 6, he's assured with this hope that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Confidence. Confidence. This psalm answers to us 
Who is the one that we can trust when life goes sideways? To whom can we follow? You look at the world's answers. They say trust in what? Power, prestige, money. God says, trust in me. He is the one that who is trustworthy, whose character has never been shattered. And so it isn't any surprise, shouldn't be, that King David would turn his full attention to the only one who can complete his soul, to give him rest in the time of trouble. The only one that he can trust and believe. I want to draw our attention to this foundation of this psalm, and it really flows from this one statement where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Our relationship with God is, is not with some generic being. It's, it comes with a name. It comes with a character. It comes with truth. I mean, David doesn't say, you know what, you just turn to your whatever power you think is going to give you comfort. He says, no, you turn to Yahweh. You think about this name, it's, it's in all caps in your, in your Bibles. It's pointing to that name that God gave himself to tell Moses, to tell the people. It's a name that is mentioned 6,000 times in the Old Testament. It points to the reality that his promises are sure. It's the name of every covenant that was ever given by him that will come to pass. It's the name that is above every name, where every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. In just searching briefly the this name throughout the Old Testament. You think about Genesis 9.26 after the flood and, and he brings that and he reassures Abraham in, in chapter 15 of Genesis uh, with his covenant and his promises. I thought it was interesting, however, as much as Abraham and the patriarchs, Isaac, Jacob, they had this relationship with this living God, they really didn't understand the full character of God. Scripture tells us that. Look to the screen, Exodus 6.3, it says, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, there it is written, Lord, right? If you go to Exodus 6.3, he says, by my name, Yahweh. I did not make myself known to them. So who did he make himself known to? Yes, Abraham followed and had faith. He understood that this was God calling him out, and he's, he's following him in obedience that, that that line of Israel following the God of Israel. But he reveals it to Moses. Turn back with me to Exodus 3. I want you to see this. Exodus chapter 3 starts unfolding to us some things that will help us understand the, the, the importance of this. You know the context? 
Israel wandering in the wilderness, delivered out of Egypt. They settle by Mount Sinai, and they look up and they see a burning bush. Verse 1, Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord, and when you see that, you, you know that's a Christophany. It, it's Christ appearing in the Old Testament here. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was, was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see the marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I do not come here. To, to, or she said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I surely have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and given heed to their cry of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians to, to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, Amorite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite. Now, behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression of which the Egyptians are oppressing them. I told you earlier they were out in the wandering. That's not the case. The context is that they are in slavery, and he calls Moses. This is the beginning of this deliverance. He's bringing Moses to the reality, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. I think you think about this interaction, this dialogue, this narrative that's happening here. You, you know that Moses is thinking, who, okay, you might do these great things, but who do I tell the people that you are? Look at verse 14. He said, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am, that is Yahweh, I have sent me to you. It's pretty remarkable to think about this. God is saying that I am the one who has always been. I am the one who is present. I am the one who has created all things. He is, he is holding this truth in his eyes. And then you look at verse 15. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name for ever. And this is my memorial name to all the generations. 
Listen, beloved, we live in a day and age that a lot of people say that they, they belong and worship the Holy God, but it is so far from the Scriptures. God has given us a specific name with a specific context, with a, with a specific, can I say that word? Character. What he's saying here is that he is simply is. What's remarkable as you think about this, and when you study the Hebrew language, there's no uh, form in the Hebrew language for be, to be. They, they expected. And, and so it, when you look at Psalm 23, it says that Yahweh, my shepherd. That's what it says in the Hebrew. We supply is because we have to have in our English language an understanding of the presence of the one that he's talking about. The Hebrew mind understood God always to be present, no matter what the situation. He says, I am that he is and that he will always be. Why is that important? Because when you think about life, and you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's never a moment in your life where he never is. For that matter, the unbeliever who denies, he always is. God depends on nothing or no one for his existence. But there's more. Turn forward to, to chapter 33 of Exodus. We got his name, but, but is there more to who he is and what he has done? Scripture, of course, shows his hand often, and we can see that this side of the cross, knowing exactly all the fulfillment that God has called us to do and be. But who is this one who calls himself I am? Who can we say that he is? Look at verse 13. This is after the deliverance. This is the, the point after the golden calf and the false worship. Verse 13 tells us this. Now, therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, I mean, this is, this is Moses. I pray to you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways. That I may know you. So that I may find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that, that this nation is your people. This is where it really got me in the midst of this trial thinking about the character of God, the comfort of God. Listen to what it says. And he, Yahweh, said, my presence shall go with you. And I will give you rest. He says in verse 15, he says, then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Moses understands that he does not want to go anywhere without the Lord. Verse 16. 
For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight and I and your people? Is it not your going with us so that we and I and your people may be distinguished from all other people who are upon the face of the earth? And then listen to God's response. The Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Moses said, I, I pray you will show me your glory. And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And get this, I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. The character of God. Strong in might. All of his goodness complete. The compassion of God to, to say that, that I will not leave you. The context, yes, is with Israel, but you and I both know that this side of the cross, the personal relationship that we have with Christ, he never leaves nor forsakes us. Turn over to chapter 34. Moses asks him to, to pass, to show him his glory. He hides him in a cleft of a rock. Verse 6, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed the Lord Yahweh, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, yet he will by no means lay the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses made haste to bow low towards the earth and worshipped. He said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, I pray, let the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so abstinent and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your own possession. I mean, that is powerful stuff. This interaction with the living God and God showing his glory to him and, and yet only revealing what was necessary and right and true about him. I stood above a, a rock basin looking at the, the place where we lost Taylor. Praying that the Lord would, would, would make her rise and, and as far as come out of the water so that we can retrieve her. But the words... That spoke to me. I was reminded of, of this truth that God is compassionate. He's gracious. 
He is kind. The character of God is what what, what continued to, to rush into my mind. I don't know if you realize this, Taylor was at the height of her love for Christ. She would come into the kitchen. Now, there's a little bit of a backstory here. She, she didn't understand why Sheree and I had such what she called happiness. How can you be so happy in this life? Now, your pastor's a nerd. I like to sing the joys of, of, of Christ. And I told her, listen, Taylor, it's not about happiness, it's about joy. I know who my Savior is. And he sits on the throne, and he's sovereign, and he's good. That's why I dance. That's why I have hope. I remember days later, she's in our room, and she's asking, I have received Christ as... No, she said, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Why don't I have what you have? I said, listen, I think sometimes in the Christian life, we embrace the, 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 the saving aspect of Christ, but we fail to remember that Christ is also Lord of your life. And too often we like to sit on the throne room of our own souls, dictating what we think God should do. I said, that's where the disconnect is. I said, Taylor, you've got to get yourself off the throne room of your life and let Jesus sit there. We prayed. Went about the next day. I find her in the kitchen. She's dancing. I looked at her. I said, what are you doing? She was singing a, a familiar song that our family likes. And she said to me with a straight face and a smile, she goes, I'm just like a nerd like you who loves Jesus. The character of God in the midst of life, unchangeable in his ways, he wants us to understand who he is as our shepherd. I think about even writing my dissertation about what a shepherd looks like. I, I remember this quote from Philip Keller's book on the 23rd Psalm, and, and he said it very clearly. He said, David knew from firsthand experience, I'm quoting him here, that the lot in life of any particular sheep depended on the type of man who owned it. Think about that for a moment. What he's telling us is that often shepherds would dictate and the sheep would respond depending upon what the shepherd did. If the shepherd was careless, the sheep were skittish, trying to find a place. You and I both know that sheep, is, sheep are the, the, the most dumb animals of all the world. We identify with that. We also know under one man... Under one shepherd, sheep would struggle. They could starve. They are dependent upon the shepherd to lead them, to feed them, to comfort them. 
And that's what's so beautiful when you think about, about Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And the sheep knows his voice. And the shepherd knows their name. I mean, the parallels of scriptures, the metaphor that's woven within it. it it's remarkable to think that our greatest dependence is upon Christ and Christ alone. He is our great shepherd. As you can imagine, we have cried much. And like I said earlier, I think it's because we've loved much. That he is our shepherd every step of the way. Turn back to Psalm 23. And let me just wrap up here. It says there, the Lord, and this is so important, is my shepherd. You understand not everybody can say that, right? Only those who are in Christ Jesus can say that. It's a possessive. He is embracing the fact of Yahweh and all of his character. And he says that Jesus is my shepherd. He is not only my shepherd, he is the good shepherd. And once you repent and once you believe in Christ, you become into a fold where he reigns supreme. I think of many comments that flood my mind just even now the, of individuals who say, you know what, I tried that Christianity thing. It just didn't work. It was more difficult. I remember my own sister telling me, you know what? I thought Jesus would make everything right, and all I got is troubles. Listen, they weren't following the right shepherd. Jesus never said that this life will be a bed of roses, right? He said, you will be persecuted for my name's sake. And yet he's also promised many times throughout the scriptures that he will never leave you nor forsake you. We belong to Yahweh because he sent his son to die on a cross to atone for our sins so that we can embrace grace and forgiveness. Jesus Christ alone paid for us the price of his own lives to atone for us. And I'm amazed. I, I think of many scriptures that, 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 that point to this reality of the atonement of Christ, of being our great shepherd. I think of Hebrews 13, 20, when it says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of his eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. I mean, this metaphor is so ingrained in the scriptures and God wants us to understand the significance of his lordship in your life, that he's there to lead you, to comfort you, to give you hope. 
First Peter tells us in 2.25, you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. And I just love that. Don't you love that, 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 that terminology, that imagery, guardian of your souls, the God who never sleeps nor slumber, takes watch over you? 1 Peter 5.4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive unfading crown of glory. 1 Peter 5.4. In the person of a son, God has made us sheep with Christ as our shepherd. And like I said, you must receive that truth in order to call him your shepherd. That's the intimacy that one has in not only having forgiveness you of your sins, that truth, in order to be to saved, call him your shepherd, but to have Yahweh. That's the intimacy that That's one has in not only having forgiveness you of your sins, to be saved in him, but to have... Let me wrap it up by saying this. Trials and experience have a way of seizing us. But like we sung, it draws us nearer to the shepherd. What follows from the psalm, Lord willing, we'll see next week. But, but it, it talks about the sufficiency of why Yahweh is our shepherd. I would encourage you to read this psalm this week as, as you start seeing and breaking it down and seeing all the things of why you can say that Jesus Christ is sufficient for your life. Listen, Taylor's not dead. Alan's not dead. Maria's not dead. Their faith has ushered them in. Dorsey is not dead. Faith has become sight, and eternity is theirs. May the soberness of life bring us to the reality that if I don't know Christ, that I need to know that shepherd that you talk about here in Psalm 23. And for those of you that know Christ, may this be your comfort as we go about living. Life for the King. Amen? Lord, we do thank you for the morning and thank you for your grace, my ramblings, my thoughts. More importantly, Father, we can trust you. We can hold on to you. We know that you cause all things for good for those who love you, for those who have called upon your name who receive grace and forgiveness. I'm mindful of, of camp and, and even the theme of camp about being created in the image of God. The resounding truth that today is the day, today is the day. We're not promised tomorrow. You're Remind us of that as we lose loved ones from this life. 
our heart goes towards those who, who don't know you, Father, how they don't have the hope and assurance of the one that the Lord has taken home. Father, may you draw them to the great shepherd. May they not be so blazing as to think that that I will escape another day and, and, and in my own timing, I can come to you. Father, each day, each hour, each moment is precious and a gift from you. Embolden us as we continue to look at the psalm, Lord, throughout the week. We, we draw comfort for what it says, the reality of who you are, that your promises are always sure. And so we love you. And we thank you for the eternal hope that is in Christ Jesus and found in him alone. To you alone be the glory and the honor and the praise. There will come a day where even the mockers' knees will bow. Those who turn from your ways, their tongue will confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. It is by your grace that we continue to have life and, and Father have it abundantly. To feel your comfort, to feel your hand, to know your ways. We love you and we trust you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ who has waken us up from the depth of our sins and set us on new grounds, who brought us into the sheepfold. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.